everyone. I'm Dr. Angela Puka and welcome to my symposium. I'm a PhD and religious studies scholar, and this is your online resource for the academic study of magic, paganism, esotericism, shamanism, thelema, and all things occult. Today we have a special guest, Marco Visconti. And before we start, I'd like to remind you that this project of delivering free academic knowledge to the public and freely on social media and YouTube can only exist thanks to your support. So if you have the means and can help at all, I would really appreciate it if you'd consider support my work with a one-off PayPal donation by joining memberships or my inner symposium on Patreon. You will find all the links in the info box and in a pinned comment. And you can also super thank me now in case you want to support my work. So thank you for being here and I hope you enjoy this interview. Welcome everybody to this episode, another episode of Academic Plus Practitioner in Conversation. And today we have a special guest, Marco Visconti, a fellow Italian who I, I knew from before I was an academic. <laughs> and <Yes>. um, <laughs> <laughs> yes. And uh, yeah, I'm really pleased to have you here, uh, Marco. Thank you for accepting my invitation uh, to be on Angela's Symposium, first of all. Yeah, thank you so much for, for inviting me, Angela. Good to see you again after so many years. Uh, <laughs> yes. I think like, like last time we, we met, it was back in Italy, one of the many Pagan Pride Days or Esoterica conferences back when, yeah, like, like this was very the very beginning of maybe like this new magical revival that we've been experiencing in the last few years. So I mean, first of all, let me congratulate you for your first channel. It's fantastic. It's <laughs> thank you very really, much. Really great. And I think you're doing a fantastic job at you know, bridging that divide between you know, really practitioners and uh, those, you know, those academics that study the, the history of, of, of occultism and esotericism. It's really needed. So mm -hmm. thank you. Oh, that's really nice of you. Uh, so would you like to share something about your, your background in esotericism? Yes, of course. Um, so um, I define myself uh, as a telemic magician. Um, and so let's let's unpack that a little bit, what it means. Telemic, of course, comes from telema, which is this uh, Greek uh, word that means will. Uh, and it is, in fact, the word that denotes um, a religious, a magical religious movement that was started by the notorious occultist uh, Aleister Crowley in uh, uh, 1904. It it is a, it is very uh, contentious if we want to call it a religion or not. Some people would say it's a religion. It definitely has a lot of religious elements. It has religious rituals, but at the same time, Crowley himself never really wanted to to go the, all, all the way in that direction. Even if he fancied himself as you know the prophet of the new eon, and even if uh, did channel uh, a new Bible, if you want to say like a, a religious text, a volume of the sacred law called Liber Alve Legis, or the Book of the Law. And uh, it, then again, in, in later years, uh, in, his, in his writings, uh, especially in the book called Magic Without Tears, he would say, well, maybe, maybe we shouldn't call it a religion. This is more for the uninitiated. And so what is Telema? It is a very multifaceted um, system of beliefs and of practices that are focused on fundamentally two uh, steps. In, in personal initiation. The first one is to achieve the knowledge and conversation with the Holy Guardian Angel, which is a theme that uh, you find across uh, the Western esoteric tradition. This idea of, you know, let, you know getting in touch with your algoides, if you want to use like a term coming from the Greek again, or your divine self, 
some people um, describe it as the higher self, you know, hearkening back a little bit to psychology. I don't know if that's correct, but let's say this divine spark that's hidden inside all of us. And once you have unlocked this union, uh, then you're able to pretty much move on with your magic and more towards a more uh, mystical set of practices that are very reminiscent of uh, non-dualism and in the kind of non-dualism that you find in, uh, um, in Tibetan Buddhism, for instance, uh, Dzogchen practices or even Tantra. And so it's, it's very, I would say like, it's very full of different practices that you can, you can approach and a lot of it um, a lot of those practices are magical in nature. And by magical, I, I mean with the K. So Crowley was the one who added the K to the term magic in order, he said, in order to differ differentiate it from stage magician. Uh, and so the idea that, in fact, magic with the K is the proper tool of dilemma, as maybe you could say that, uh, you know, deep meditation is the proper tool for Buddhism. I'm, I'm generalizing here, apologies, but just to give you an idea, then magic with the K, uh, it's the proper tool to fully unpack the, the mysteries that are hidden in, the, in, in Telema itself. And of course, uh, being Crowley, uh, there is a lot of uh, sexual magic and sexual practices embedded with, in with the system. With Crowley being Crowley and all. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, I would say that, you know, it, it's definitely interesting to to understand that, you know, exactly Crowley being someone who, um, I mean, if, if, if nobody here knows, I mean, he comes from, he, he came from a very strict um, Christian family. Uh, he, he was born into a Plymouth Brethren family, and especially uh, an even stricter sect of a sect called the Exclusive Brethren. So a, a kind of um, Christians that really believe that they, everything that they, they needed to know was in the Bible, they couldn't read anything else, and uh, they were just waiting for the rapture, pretty much, right? Um, so there was a lot of sexual um, frustration, you know, built it, uh, built up into that system. And so, of course, Crowley tried to, uh, you know, to fight against it. Uh, it was, it, I mean, we, we could speak about Crowley forever. It was a very, very complex character, multifaceted character. Um, it wasn't an iconoclast just for the sake of being that. Like, he really tried to make sense of the kind of life he was born into and make it better and try to reach for this higher self. And he thought that a way to reach this higher self was through sexual practices. Um, do we do sexual practices in Telema nowadays? Well, uh, yes, but unfortunately not in the way, or unfortunately, not in the way that most people think uh, we do. A lot of the sexual practices in Telema are sublimated are, you know, um, you approach them by allegory, by, um, you know, all, all sorts of symbols. Uh, and uh, there are some direct um, practices that involve proper sex of various kinds, right? Uh, but that's not, uh, that's not something you start, you start out with, right? And I'm saying this because over the last 30, almost 30 years that I've been a Telemite, which tells you how old I am. <laughs> um, the discourse around Telema has changed substantially. When I first started in the 90s, it was really all about, oh, let's, let's see uh, how dark we can get. Uh, because Crowley, of course, also has this, um, I would say, ill-deserved 
uh, fame of being an evil Satanist. He wasn't uh, by any, in any shape or form. Telema has a Luciferian aspect to it, which is echoed into its iconoclasm or even in the idea that, uh, you know, we can, we don't need a savior anymore, right? We don't need somebody like Jesus Christ or to come and save us for our sins. In Telema, there is no sin there uh, and there's no vicarious atonement. Like nobody is going to come and save us. We are the ones who, through these magical practices, uh, can unlock the, the union with the Holy Guardian Angel and through that union make sense of our experience in this world and maybe, you know, opening up the gates for other worlds to explore. Um, so it wasn't, it, maybe, you know, like that was like the, the, the Satanism of Crowley because in many ways, you know, it's, it echoes the, the Luciferian principle of non-servium, like no, not, being, um, you know, not being the subject of higher power. Uh, I think I think I'm rambling. I went places no, already. No, I, I think it's actually very interesting. And how did you get into Thelema and uh, Diotio? Oh wow, that's uh, that's a story. Okay, let me in the nineties, so, apparently, you just mentioned that. I don't know. Going back, we're going back to the very beginning of the nineties. Um, pretty much around this time in nineteen ninety. So some 32 years ago, oh God. Uh, I, was, I, was, I was very young, I was 12 at the time, and I was already interested in mythology, and I was already interested in, you know, a few, a few years later, I would discover goth music and metal music. So I was already, you know, going in that direction, right? But that summer, I discovered, I discovered Aleister Crowley in a comic book. Uh, in Italy, I'm, I don't know if you if you ever uh, chanced upon it, but there is a series of comic books called Martin Mister, which is a sort of like you know Indiana Jones uh, kind of character, right? He's an anthropologist, but he also has a TV show. Possibly, maybe if they were writing in this day, he would have a YouTube channel, right? <laughs> and but it's it's also like a, a sort of like this kind of Indiana Jones character, and actually is written by this guy called Alfredo Castelli which is also connected to a guy called Sebastiano Fusco in Italy, which is a very well-known esotericist, somebody who has been writing about the esoteric forever. So you can imagine there's a lot of real esoterica in his comic books. And I was like reading this comic book and there you go, you have this Aleister Crowley character. And I was like, oh, wow, that's, uh, that's a fascinating character. And I started I was a bit of a bookworm uh, back when I was young, uh, very young, and uh, I you know, started investigating. And there you go. You in Italy, we we had very little um, esoteric books available, but we had Crowley. We had uh, Magic Interior Practice, which is Crowley's magnum opus, and it was actually um, one the only Crowley book that was translated in Italian. Uh, and at the time, I, I was I I already could speak English, but you know it was before Amazon, before everything. You couldn't really get a hold of any you know um, uh, foreign books. So I just bought Magic in practice, which in Italian just called Magic, and and I didn't understand a single thing. It was it because uh, it's really Magic complicated. <laughs> It is a very complicated text. It's interesting because, as you, you read it, right? So uh, Crowley writes this in, uh, at the end of the 1920s. It is published for the first time by Lecheron Press in 1929. And he, at that point, he is very advanced in his magical practice, but he is trying to, with magic and practice, he's trying to 
write a book for everyone. In the introduction, it says, you know, the magic will be- Magic is for uh, all, yeah. For all, and magic will be, you know, the banner word whereby the pugilist and the banker and the common person will be able to rally behind. That didn't work out very well because the book then from there goes to absolute you know complex places and as you can imagine i couldn't understand any of that interesting enough um that edition was the 1972 edition by john simons and kenneth grant edited by them and it was translated by someone i don't know who for astrolabio well the translator could not understand bits and pieces so it just did not translate it like if you get the book you will see that there's you know the, yeah, I, the, I have it here actually the italian yeah, yeah, version yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> i know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about exactly right like then you read and then and then it jumps from one one sentence to the other say well there's something must be missing here right yes because the guy couldn't make sense of what it is and that just give you an idea of how magic is very complex to be fair um for, for if there's any italians listening to this right now uh, there's been a new edition coming out um, that has been translated by the members of Ordo Templariantis, OTO, the, the organization you just mentioned before, and we will discuss it shortly. And it's it's fantastic. Um, they, they did an outstanding job. It is, you know, it finally, we finally, you know, as Italians, we can say we finally have a proper translation of magic into in practice. Yep. Uh, took 32 years. <laughs> I mean, took way longer because, you know, you've got to go back to took 50 years because you go back to 72, right? But uh, yeah, we finally have it. So that's where, that's where, where I start. Um, I, from that point onward, I try to make sense of that book. Um, one thing that happens is that Astrolabio also uh, translated the first two books by Kenneth Grant, and Kenneth Grant was the one of Crowley's disciples that really took Telema in very different uh, directions, um, as you should do, I think. It's important for a living tradition to evolve and go different places so that you know different practitioners can experiment with different things. One of the core, uh, core ideas of Telema is that of scientific illuminism, which means trying to pretty much apply the method of science to the aim and you know towards the aim of religion the aim of religion being trying to understand who we are where we're going you know the the the, the, the ontological questions of humanity but try to apply the method of science well say like you know instead of just say magic works because it works well lay out experiments and see what can be reproduced by me by others if it's you know if what i can reproduce you can do it as well etc so i really believe in the idea of you know taking traditions to different places grant really took them in very different places um you know incorporating um, the Cthulhu mythos of hp uh, lovecraft incorporating the ufology uh incorporating the work of austin osman spare and magic as art i mean it, it's it's if, if anybody is curious about Kenneth Grant, definitely look into it. It's, it's an interesting character. So yes, you know, I went from Crowley to Kenneth Grant. And then fast forward a few years, uh, it's the late 90s now. And I, I just, you know, applied to become a member of one of Crowley's organizations, which is the AA. The AA stands for, at least in the outer, stands for uh, Argentum Astrum or Astonargon, which means Silver Star. And uh, it is the magical order, the magical, the, whereby you go to learn magic, okay? Crowley founded it uh, at the beginning of the 1900s uh, as a continuation of the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. Um, Crowley did 
start in Dramatic Order of the Golden Dawn. And at some point, you know, through all the schisms and, uh, you know, infighting that these orders always in invariably devolve into, he was left to his own devices. And for some years, he, he, he became a Buddhist. Uh, for some years, he just left magic behind up until, you know, something called him back, which was the reception of the Book of the Lord, this, you know, um, reception of Telema as a new magical system, possibly as a new religion. And from that, from that point onwards, he decided to restructure the order, of the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn into this new order called the AA. That's what, that's where I, what I joined around uh, late 90s, uh, thanks to a very, you know, very strange group of people that were operating in Rome at the time. Uh, and then I became aware of another order uh, called the OTO, or Order, uh, order Templariantis, which means Order of the, of the Temple of the East, or Order of the Oriental Tem Templars. And at the time, I didn't join because uh, this, is, this, this is more like early 2000s. Uh, I just you know, got in touch with some people there, uh, interesting enough, at the local goth club, a jungle club, which was as, as it happens from time to time, right? Um, it, but it, it wasn't the right match. Um, and so I, I, I keep being a Telemite, I keep being a member of the AA, uh, but I go and do other things, right? Uh, I experience, I keep experiencing different uh, magical practices and magical uh, traditions up until, again, 10 years later, we were now at the beginning of the 2010s, I finally joined the OTO. And I've been for the OTO, in the OTO up until the recent years. Uh, I started, you know, I was first initiated in Rome, and then I, when I moved here in London, um, I joined Ameth Lodge here in London. I would become the treasurer of Ahmed Lodge, so I ended up becoming very intimate with how the system works beyond just initiation. How, like the, I would say the nitty gritty of running an order. You know, when you have to chase people after dues and when you have to pay uh, for the temple room, etc., etc., etc. And and then eventually, you know, eventually I left the OTO for various reasons, and I wrote about it. Maybe you know, if somebody's interested, I can I can send them the links of why I left. Um, and now I just, I'm just a solitary telemite. Well, you know, I organize my own things. I'm writing a book. I've wrote a book, actually, it's coming out. And uh, so, yes, that's that's my story, pretty much. Uh, if, if you want to know more about the OTO, we, I can tell you more about it. Because yeah, it, yeah, it, I'd it, like to, to know more both about the AA and the OTO, but we can start with the OTO first in terms okay. of uh, what you can share, you know, about the initiation process, the structure of the order. Of course. So... Um, I would say that OTO is definitely the most famous of Telemic orders out there. Like if you if you Google Crowley magic, maybe you will find a lot of OTO references. Uh, the reason why is uh, it's because the OTO was always the the order that was in control of Crowley literary estate. So every time you would you would you know you would buy a book you know going back from the from the seventies onwards right you would buy a book you would find uh, you know if you want to know more contact the OTO here so you know it, while it is it was not the first and while in fact the OTO was not founded by Crowley Crowley inherited it um, that's why it became maybe so popular at least in the in the minds of those who see Telema from the outside. The OTO was founded, in fact, by a group of German Freemasons and Rosicrucians, and 
It wasn't up until the, the time that Crowley joined, first as a, you know, um, he first joined in 1907, if I'm not mistaken, uh, because as a Freemason himself, he was recognized uh, at a certain degree. This is something that happens a lot in Freemasonry, or at least it used to happen a lot in Freemasonry. And that is that if you, if you already are initiated, if you already went to a curriculum of degrees, uh, as long as you can demonstrate that you, maybe you know the password or the pass grip and the token, etc., you would be recognized as the same degree or an equivalent degree in the new system you're joining, right? And this is what happened with Crowley. At the time, Crowley was a 33rd uh, degree of Scottish Rite Freemasonry. And so when he uh, was introduced to Theodore Royce, which was one of the founders of OTO, Theodore Royce recognized him as a seventh degree at OTO because that was the same level of uh, you know correspondence there's it's fascinating like you can lay out all these things on very interesting diagrams and um, it takes a little while but then you start recognizing some patterns there first forward a few years 1912 um, the, the legend says that Theodore Royce uh, barged into Crowley's rooms in London, accusing him of stealing the secrets of the OTO, of the higher degrees, of, of, of the highest degree of the OTO, which was the ninth degree. Crowley was like, uh, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, and at that point, Theodore Royce presented him with a copy of uh, the Book of Lies, which is one of Crowley's best uh, mystical texts. And um, allegedly, some of the secrets of the OTO are written in plain sight there. Crowley would say that he had no idea, and so possibly it was just something that was, you know, uh, some, some sort of divine revelation that he, he received. And that's when uh, Royce decided to appoint him the leader of everything. I'm, I'm simplifying the story, because, especially because we really don't know if this ever happened like this, right? Crowley was, Crowley was a fantastic writer and a fantastic storyteller. So whenever we look at these at the, at this histories, um, a lot of it is, is, is mirrored in Crowley's diaries, which are available in various collections around the world. Here in London, they're available at the Warburg collection, um, which despite what some people will tell you, you can access them quite easily. In fact, uh, it's called the York collection at the Warburg uh, Institute. Sorry, that's the correct name. And so, you know, you will find these this tales uh, in his diaries, but then again, was he, was he, was he spinning his own myth or was he telling the truth? We likely never, never know. What we know, for instance, is that the Book of Lies was never published up until 1913. So how would Theodore Royce be able to have a copy one year before? You know, it's, some things doesn't really, really match there. Um, anyway, Crowley becomes the leader of the uh, British section of the OTO and Thanks to Roy's encouragement, uh, he becomes to make it telemic. What, what do I mean by this? As I told you, the OTO was founded by Freemasons and Rosicrucians, right? So in many ways, at the beginning, it was only a system of uh, synthesis of the Masonic degrees of the Scottish Rite, of the Memphis Mizraim Rite. So imagine like Scottish Rite has 33 degrees, the Memphis Mizraim Rite or Egyptian Rite can go up to 99 degrees. So you can imagine there's a lot of material there. Uh, what this group of Freemasons and Rosicrucians in Germany set out to do was to synthesize everything in nine degrees, uh, which was 
a, a very lofty task right mm -hmm. to to under, undertake and also they were trying to bring in all those uh, teachings of um yoga tantra that were starting to seep in from the east at the time talking we're talking about the early 20th century 1903 1904 something like that so very early times um crowley comes in of course, he was studying this material already, and Telema is really uh, is seeped into uh, the the mysteries that come from from the East, from Tantra, and from uh, I would say Buddhism, etc., etc. Right. So by Telemizing, I mean like he started to take these uh, Masonic rituals and change them in in their let's say in their allegories, in their symbology. Like leaving behind all the Masonic symbology that's usually tethered to Christianity. For those of you who don't know, 99% uh, of Freemasonry is pretty much stories from the Bible, okay? Mostly Old Testament as well. Uh, and uh, Crowley was like, well, this is good. Uh, the system uh, it's, it works, but how about we, we make all these stories, we make them telemic? And so without going too much into what I cannot divulge publicly, um, let's say that the OTO is a system of telemic misery in many ways. Uh, in that sense that you join an order whereby slowly but slowly, as, as almost like you go by, by degree on a clock, right? So that's why, that's why they're called degrees. Because slowly you are sh you're shown the, the, the entirety of the mysteries by little increments, okay? And each degree builds up on the previous one. And so by the time you are, I don't know, fourth degree, uh, you are, you're given a series of instructions that make sense as a whole, but you, you still know that you don't have the full picture of it, right? And this is the Masonic way of imparting, the, you know, um, I would say unlocking the mysteries for for those who are initiated into their, their ways. And this is this is what happens in the OTO as well. Uh, you are, interesting enough, there's one degree at the very beginning called the Minerval degree, which is a name that actually uh, comes from the Bavarian Illuminati. Has nothing to do with the, with the Bavarian Illuminati degree, it's very different. Uh, however, in that degree, you're kind of given most of the secrets already, but at the beginning you don't know. So you know when you when you go back at the end of the of the system, uh, uh, what you've done at the very beginning, it's almost like a, as I say, it's almost like going around the clock. But, you know, and so uh, you're back at the beginning, but now you have a deeper understanding of what the system is really about. And the OTO system really teaches you uh, the principles of you know, light, life, love, and liberty in the sense of dilemma. So. You know, liberty, liberty of the individual. Every man and every woman is a star, which is uh, from you know one of the three most important aphorisms from the Book of the Law and of the Lemma. The other two being, do what the will shall be the whole of the law, and love is the law, love on the will, which I'm pretty sure everybody heard by now, and uh, they're quite famous. But again, liberty. So the idea that everybody, every man and every woman is a star. We all, we all have the same potential to unlock our stardom, like our divine self. The fact that, you know, life, we have to engage in life. There's no, there's no nihilism in Telema, and there's definitely no nihilism in, the, in Telema as 
uh, unlocked and present to you in the OTO teachings, you have to engage with life. You have to be, you have to really live life to the fullest. Um, love, love is complex <laughs> because uh, the love of Telema is agape, as opposed of eros, as opposed of philos, which are you know. Uh, the three is, kinds is, of it, love and in ancient Greek. <laughs> exactly, they are different. Exactly, they're, uh, the ancient Greek, I think, had seven seven ways of of, of, mm. of of saying love, and it's very interesting because, of course, philos is the love that you can have for a friend, for a brother. Uh, eros is the love you can have for your for your beloved, for the person you are in. You know, you engage. I mean, also everybody you 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 fancy. If we want to use like a, a English term, it's more of a but sexual I, interest. There's a sexual interest, exactly. And, uh, and agape, it's something that it's more like the love for, for the creation itself, the love and all its parts, right? So it's a more all pervading love for everything. Life, life. Uh, and then there's light. Uh, light is in intended, uh, I mean, as the source of that stardom. So that intimate uh, divine spark that it's found everywhere and it's almost like there's this light is as light you know expands immediately everywhere this divine spark is the center of a of a circumference that extends infinitely and so that center is everywhere and this this interpoint between this point and circumference it is the interpoint the, the interplay between hadith the point and nuit the circumference which are by the way nuit I have it. Yeah, I, have I was here. I was looking at your <laughs> <laughs> and um, and so and again, like the, the you you have this you have these ideas that are presented to you again and again and again in different ways. They can take the form of Egyptian gods, and there will be a lot of people that are very uh, they're very like peculiar about saying, well, you know, Telema is in fact. The, um, the the Egyptian mysteries that are presented to us once again, they're like a revival of the Egyptian mysteries. And there are people like me that say, well, maybe, or maybe simply, you know, uh, these principles are universal. And the fact that Crowley, you know, was so steeped in, in the Egyptomania of the, the Victorian time and Edwardian time, that's how, you know, this... Uh, this principle imprinted onto him, you know, through these masks. The reality there is that um, I, I'm very agnostic in the sense that I don't know if there is a resurgence of ancient Egyptian Heka, which was the name for magic, right, in, 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 in those times, in Telema or not. Um, definitely the, the, the rituals of Telema are, as much as I know, right, uh, I might be wrong, but as much as I know, the rituals of Telema have nothing to do with Egyptian Eka. So, uh, while at the same time, this idea of this, this all-pervading force, this all-pervading light that is divided into these two points, almost as for us to entertain the idea of duality before transcending duality itself, that makes more sense to me. And in fact, it's more close to what you find in Tantra and what, which, in, you know, I think that's more the, um, if we were to find like a, um, an historical beginning for Telema, you know, before Crowley, going back to, to a long strand of tradition passed from person to person to person. Yeah, you know, ide ideas scattered around the world um, by cross-pollination, cross-fertilization. 
transportation, et cetera, et cetera. I would say that possibly we should look more towards India and, and those traditions as the source of dilemma. But again, um, we really don't know. What we know and what I can tell you uh, as a practitioner is that it works. And by what, I, what do I mean by it works? Um, those rituals have power behind them. Like if you engage with them, if you try to understand them, uh, properly, um, and if you don't expect, I don't know, to, to throw fireball from your hands, which is something that even time to time you hear you, people you on the guess. internet, right? <laughs> even if it's sometimes. <laughs> exactly. If you don't expect that magic will uh, will 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 create the impossible, um, this ritual work because Telema gives you. First of all, freezes you, freezes you, frees you from uh, almost 2000 years of Christian um, indoctrination that the body is evil, that the life has to be, you should forsake life and you should just wait for, you know, someone else to come and save the day and guide you to the realm of heaven. Telema tells you, this is what, this life is what we have. There might be something else, but we don't know. So we have to live our this life to the fullest without it becoming hedonistic for the sake of it, but without even uh, forcing out any sort of pleasure that we might encounter, right? And the idea that that's so cru cru crucial of the lemma that, um, that every man and every woman is a star implies that we should not trample our fellow man. And by man, of course, I mean human, fellow human, uh, member of the human race, right? And uh, we all should we, we should remember that divinity is in everyone, right? Unfortunately, I can tell you that this is not this has not always been understood this way um, in in Telema. And I think that going back, you know, going back full circle back to the OTO, maybe maybe it's also a little bit the fault of OTO. Um, it's been uh, it's been 40 years now, more or less, the, the, uh, 85, when the OTO was finally able to uh, solidify itself into one main organization. As you can imagine, um, when we think about uh, magical orders and um, esoteric organizations, there's always splinters, there's always schisms, but around uh, 85, you know, there was a landmark copyright case that was won by a group of people in the United States, and they started to reorganize the OTO as one OTO. Unfortunately, they kind of, I would say they haven't done a great job in the last 40 years, and uh, they haven't been able to, to become that guiding light that maybe Telema needs in order to make sure that the, the true message is understood by everybody who approaches Telema. Um, in the third chapter of the Book of the Law, which is our central test, text, um, you you can read a lot of things that might seem might might be read in two different ways. Because the the third chapter of the Book of the Law is the the one whereby Kaurkuit or Horus, the, the the warrior, speaks in very fiery and very warlike um, terms. But it's beyond doubt for me that those has to be understood as a way for us to master ourselves, right? There's there's some excerpts in the Book of the Law that says, you know, trample the weak and the wretched. And uh, a lot of people, especially in recent years with all the resurgence of the alt-right, uh, etc., they, they read that in a way of like, you know, well, Telema can be 
a way to be a white supremacist, can be a way to be um, a person that just uh, live by the, the idea of that might is right, right? And that couldn't be further from the truth. And at the same time, I feel that the OTO kind of dropped the ball on being very clear about this, these things. Um, so yeah, um, I don't know if this answered your question, right? But... Yeah, I, I was also wondering how many degrees are in the OTO. And you said that, um, you know, the, the further you advance, the more you have a full picture of the mysteries. But is there any other way you could um, define the progression through the degrees? And what's the ultimate goal that you achieve at the, you know, at the um, final degrees? So, uh, in the structure of the OTO, there are nine degrees that ideally you could complete. There's then a 10 degree, which is considered to be uh, um, an ad administrative degree only. So uh, only for people that, that have to do specific jobs get to the 10 degree. And then there's an 11 degree, which is meant to be, it's said to be outside the scope of the order itself. What are you going to do if you go from, from degree zero to degree nine? you are you're given um the full understanding of how to properly live a telemic initiate initiatory experience okay you start in the minerval degree let's see what can it say with the, the stating that you are traveling towards the city of the sun you're traveling towards uh pretty much towards you know the the union with the divine right that's what you're trying to you are you are a seeker of wisdom and you're traveling towards that pl that place because it is the place that whereby you will learn you will achieve wisdom okay and this is what the OTO wants to do it uh, across the various degrees of the OTO the history changes because it is pre um, the allegories that are presented to you are always meant to show the idea of um, there's a there's a strong antinomian uh, vibe towards throughout, throughout all the degrees, uh, and so let's say uh, you are in order to, to travel through the city of wisdom, you know you you want to join a group of people called the Templars because you think that the Templars are the ones having wisdom, but the first things that happens is in fact you are forced to become allied to with the enemy of the Templars. I'm not going into too much detail, but just so this idea of like always like changing the expectation, reversing what you expect, and by reversing what you expect, you you are, you are taught wisdom by always um, uh, being reminded that you should contemplate two different points of view in order to annihilate them, because neither one is the truth. Neither one holds that wisdom that you are seeking, but in fact, the annihilation of those two. Um, Let's say those two illusory that that illusory duality actually is the key to wisdom another thing that it's uh that the OTO promises you is that in the higher degrees from the seventh the eighth and the ninth you are taught the secrets of sexual magic and sexual alchemy that means all the all the juicy bits that people read about um on how to use sex as as a way of creating magical talismans, as a way of creating, um, as a way also creating the the kind of elixir of long life that it's you, know, you read about in alchemical texts, 
as a way of creating the Philosopher's Stone. Um, I cannot go into more detail, as you can imagine, but this is the promise, right? So why would you why would you join the OTO? Well, this is all this is all the reasons why you would join the OTO. Now, can you do this nowadays? Unfortunately, in my experience, you can't for a series of reasons. The OTO that, as I said, you can join today, the one I eventually joined, the one that was re re reconstructed in 1985, it is a reconstruction because the OTO kind of disappeared. Uh, with the death of Crowley, uh, only one person was um, declared his direct, um, you know, the, per the heir, the person who would take over from him. It was his disciple Karl Germer, Frederick Saturnus. Karl Germer didn't do anything to further the, the OTO. Uh, in fact, he let it die. And after he died, a lot of the a lot of the magic of OTO died with him. Also because uh, when he died, and this is a classic history of um, what happens in magical orders, after he died, his house was raided by a group of people that uh, pretty much stole uh, Crowley's writings, Crowley's diaries, Crowley's papers, they were all stored at Karl Germer's house. And these people were uh, went on to become rather uh, notorious in occultural history as the Solar Lodge. The Solar Lodge uh, had some kind of ties with Charles Manson's, uh, Charles Manson's and, and the family. It was never known if these ties were true or not, at least not to my knowledge. I'm pretty sure somebody in the comments will say, actually, uh, you know, but so let me know because I'm curious about that. Uh, but what's what, what what I know, because I spoke with one of the, the people that are still alive from Solar Lodge, this guy called Frater Shiva. It's an old man now, uh, still alive. You can find him on lashtal.com, which is one of the, possibly the last forum, you know, the textual forum that still exists on the internet. And this guy wrote a book called uh, Solar Lodge uh, Outside the Law, something like that, uh, Solar Lodge Outside the Law. Anyway, you can find the book as well. And he gives him very much detail in what happened and the fact that yes, they did steal a lot of secret instructions. And when they realized that they would pretty much uh, have legal problems because of their connections, uh, well, with, with the failed Summer of Love 69 and this, the, all, all the proto-satanic panic of the 70s, uh, they had problems with the FBI, just to let you know. Uh, they just burned it all. <laughs> so whenever you join the audio today, there is huge things that are missing. Um, I've always remembered that, for instance, when I was initiated into the perfect initiate degree, so it's like four plus one, you literally receive uh, a little piece of paper that says, you know, according to this degree, you should be given all the secrets of these degrees of Freemasonry. We don't have them. If you do have them, please share them with us. <laughs> so just to give you an idea, this is, um, that's, that's the reality of audio. And uh, in, in, when I, I left, I left right around that time. And after I left the OTO, uh, several top tier people left as well. Uh, and one one of these people, this person, you know, shared with me all their all the other degrees, right? Um, by the way, you can find them all online. It's very easy. But I would argue that find reading the degrees won't do you any good. You really need to understand. It, it's imagine like it's all written in code, right? Uh, not so much as a, a cryptography. It, it's plain English. But when you speak of, of the gluten of the eagle and the red lion. 
that means something very specific, which are specific sexual fluids. So if you're not aware of, of you know, that kind of code that's used in the world, well, maybe it won't make much sense of what's presented to you. Anyway, uh, you know, I was given, was given the other degrees. I, I was presented the other degrees. And I can tell you, there are, there, there's, there's bits that are missing, because, possibly because Crowley never wrote them, or possibly because it was just an oral tradition that has been lost in time. And possibly because maybe it was written in these documents that were in possession of the Solar Lodge that got all burned. So would you would I still join the OTO? Possibly yes, because I mean, especially if you never joined a magical order, um, you can you can have you can have you can you know scratch that itch and you know see certain things that you wouldn't see anywhere else. But you know, with the knowledge I have today, it's also true that you know what says on the tin. I think it's undeliverable because they cannot teach you all the secrets of uh, to create the philosopher's stone and to create the elixir of long life, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I also have to say that the experience is very different from lodge to lodge. This is the same thing in Freemasonry. Uh, people that are not Freemasons uh, and people that are not member of the OTO tend to think of these two organizations as monolithic structures, right? There's the Freemasonry, there's the OTO. Yes and no. Uh, it depends on the lodge that you, sorry, it depends on the lodge you join. Uh, if you are uh, here in London, we had, we had, we had good people, right? Uh, I've heard that in other, in other places around the world, the Things were not that that good, and not, I'm not even going into the discussion of whatever almost invariably happens in um, hierarchical structures, where there's always nepotism, there's always some sort of abuse going on, which is why I don't believe in hierarchical, hierarchical structures anymore, really. But you know, the kind of instruction would vary massively from London to Liverpool. Uh, and yes, I am mentioning something that I know in directly. Uh, so, you, you know, it, 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 that's the problem, right? So it, it really is, uh, are you winning the lottery to join the right to lodge or not? That, that's a problem there as well. Mm. And what about the AA and its structure and aim, uh, what they are and how it differs from the OTO? The, the structure, so the, the difference is stark in the sense that while the OTO is a, is a it, it is set up to be like a um, telemic Freemasonry, right? So it's set up around the, the lodge or the oasis or the camp. So it, it, it's set up to be social, right? And it's set up to for people to go uh, receive the, the initiation rituals passively and try to make sense of them in time, right? Like again, in a degree structure. The AA, it's a magical school. Uh, the AA, it's something whereby, first of all, there's no lodge structure whatsoever, at least in Crowley's original idea. Uh, you were supposed only supposed to know your direct superior, which means like your teacher. And in time, you would only be, uh, get to know those who were assigned to you as your students. I can tell you, this is yet another myth, <laughs> because in this day and age, it's impossible to keep uh, this kind of connection secret. Everybody speaks about it on the internet. There's AA groups, there's AA um, uh, Facebook groups, uh, forums, whatever. And it's been like this for the last 20 years, really. The difference is also that um, there's no, with, with two exceptions, 
there is no group rituals, okay? The two exceptions are the, two fir the first two grades of the AA, and they're named grades and not degrees because each one is a self-contained experience, and it is something that, in fact, once you go through it, you are graded with it. Like you, like you have to go through it and you have to show that you, un you fully understood the lessons there. So, for instance, um, while the OTO is, as I said, is very passive, in the AA, and, and you can't really fail the, the, the degrees of the OTO. I mean, from time to time, you just have to wait a set amount of time. Maybe you have to read something, but that's about it. Well, in the AA, you can fail it. <laughs> like if you, there, there's grades of the AA where, for instance, you are supposed to, uh, to show your skills in pranayama or in uh, asana. So you have to stand still with a jug of water on your head for one hour. And if, you, if you're not able to do that, you won't be graded. You won't pass that grade. You, you can do it again, of course, uh, but that's it. Like you have, you have to show your skills. Also, the AA is incredibly academic in a way, like the, the syllabus of the AA, I, I would say it's very antiquated right now, but it, it's something in, in excess of 200, 300 texts that you need to show proficiency with them, right? And it goes from things like Kroy's text to the spiritual lesson of Michael Molinos to Patan, Patanjali and uh, to uh, the vast, I mean, he goes to Hargrave Jennings, uh, everywhere. Like it's very, very, it, it really is like you, at the very, even before you join the AA, you should um, show a, a, a mastery of, of, of theme of religions really like, because that's what you are trying to do. You're trying to, you're trying to learn magic in the sense that magic is the core, the secret core of religion itself, right? The kernel of a religion, if you want. So, the grades of the AA also are different from the, from the degrees of the OTO. They are 11 because they are each tied to um, each of the Sephiroth of the Tree of Life. Similarly to the grades of the Golden Dome, it, the, you know, the, the structure of the grades, it's very similar. The, the scale is different. And by that, I mean that if you were to do the first six degrees of the of the Golden Dawn, you would only get be a sec a second grade of the AA. I mean, I don't want to go too much in you know this is going to be boring, but let's say the scale is different, right? Uh, and this is implied idea that Telema, the teachings of Telema, do, do bring you past the limits of the teachings of the Golden Dawn. The teachings of the Golden Dawn really brought brought you to to, to the sun, to the sphere of Thiverat, right? Um, and I think I can speak freely of, of Sephiroth. I mean, everybody here, you, you told them about the, the Sephiroth already. Yeah, so. I, I, will, I will link one of my videos. <laughs> exactly, good idea. So, uh, but yes, like, you know, the, the Golden Dawn brings you from Malkuth to Tiferet. And of course, you know, uh, after the Golden Dawn died and its splinter groups, other people like Felkin and others did, did bring in the, the degree that go up to Bina, even beyond. But by the AA from the very beginning, almost implies that you are already at Yesod and then and you're you are you are going to work very fast towards the point of knowledge and conversation with Holy Garden Angel, which happens in Tiferet, and then your your goal is to enter Bina, you know, across the abyss, realizing the non-dual non-dual nature of, of the universe and understanding the mystery of Babylon 
big name, by the way. For, not only, I, we say Babylon for the first time one hour in. That's not yes. bad. <laughs> and, and, um, and so, you know, like the mystery of Babylon and, you know, that, that's, that's kind of the end of it when you become a, a magister temple, a master of the temple. There are two more degrees, you know, the, the great, the, sorry, grades, the grade of Magus and the grade of Ipsissimus. Uh, it's very contentious if those grades are even accessible, and I, I and I, I and I and I'm a her, I'm a telemic heretic for saying so, um, but I'm not I'm not even sure that those grades are earthly grades, like the kind of enlightenment and and, and the idea that you have um, integrated non-duality. I mean, how can you integrate non-duality for still in a body? that have an internal monologue, right? Anyway, going, I, like I said, I, I'm rumbling once again. These are the two main difference between the AA and the OTO. The OTO is uh, telemic, masonic uh, system that will let the initiate understand the mysteries by grades and by, you know, by allegories and by sim symbols, whereby the AA is a system that gives you the keys of the Lamborghini. <laughs> okay, go, uh, you do magic, and see and show us what you can do. Uh, I mean, there's there's some tests to do whereby you say, hey, uh, join us in the astral temple and tell us what you see. If you are able to do it, uh, you pass the the test. If you're not able to do it, uh, you will have to go back and study harder and do the practices harder. I would say. Uh, so th th these are really this is the stark differences between the two. Mm. Yeah, that's very interesting. And uh, you also mentioned, I think, that the OTO is less magical in a way, more ritualistic. Yes, in the sense that, um, okay, first of all, this is my opinion. Uh, I want to state it yeah, because it's very, like... Uh, Contested. You, know, you, you, you will ask, like, five different people, you will get 50 different answers. Oh, that, right? that's typical of historic <laughs> practitioners, pagans. And <laughs> exactly. Um, I would say that there's a lot of magic in the OTO. Like the rituals, the rituals of initiation are magical, uh, and there's a, uh, there's one central rite which is called uh, Liber Fifteen, the Gnostic Mass, commonly known as the Gnostic Mass, which is incredibly magical. It's a Eucharistic ritual, and it's a ritual that um, really encapsulate pretty much the entire mysteries of the OTO from of all degree of all the degrees of the OTO um, heavily um, heavily hidden in in uh, in allegories for the common people to have a glimpse of them okay but they're very magical in the sense that if you if you um, officiate as a priest or a priestess or a deacon in the gnostic mass I think there's a lot of magic going on there. There's visualizations, there's mantras, there, there's specific each you know each sim each uh, step you take as a specific um, kabbalistic reference. And you should if when you know all of this, you create almost you created like a mandala, like like something that really acts magically. The point is that in the OTO you're never expected to do magic. Um, in, in the lodges that I belong to, uh, especially here in London, in Ameth Lodge, yes, we had magical classes on how to, um, how, to, how to build or access an astral temple. We had some magical classes on how to create a talisman. We had some magical classes on how to um, create and consecrate our magical tools. 
But for instance, all these things I told you, those are the things that are found in Book 2 of Magic and Theory in Practice by Crowley. You never find them in the OTO. The OTO really expects you to, you know, enter a room and be receptive of all the things you will see and hear and the things will be done to you. And this is kind of the same things that happen in Free Misery. Uh, you enter a room and you are bombarded with um, allegories, with symbols, with sounds, and it will take maybe several years to try to really understand uh, where all the messages, because there's some, some messages are clear and some messages are hidden. Um, the AA, it really is about do magic in the sense that you have a goal and the goal is to cross the abyss. Or rather, the, the first goal is to achieve knowledge and conversation with Holy Garden Angel. So achieve, unlock that divine spark in you, almost like that, that becoming that conduit for the fire from heaven to use a beautiful allegory. And then use that conduit to go even further down the road and even leave behind that connection with the Holy Garden Angel and enter the womb of Babylon, of Babylon it's herself or itself. So uh, that's the stark difference. So that's why, you know, I would say the audio is not, it's, it can be magical, depends on, depends on which lodge you join. You can do magical magic as an extra curriculum, but there's no strict magic in the audio itself. Uh, up and the, there is the promise of sex magic when you, when you reach the higher degrees. But very few people reach the higher degrees because of nepotism, because of um, because of the nature of hierarchical orders and the fact that very few people make it to the top. Not because it's difficult, but because I think humanity tends to not want to share the fun <laughs> with, with everybody else. Um, yay, you do magic from the beginning and you do magic at the end until the very end. You consecrate talismans, you, you consecrate magical weapons, you speak with angels, you speak with demons. Uh, we should even understand what, what they are, but <laughs> it's not what people think they are. Um, and you also engage with, with sex magic as well in the AA at various levels, all towards the goal of transcending humanity, Con leaving humanity behind. But again, not so much into a become a living God kind of. Uh, it's more about like really transcending the human nature and becoming one with nothingness, which is no eat. Mm. Hope it makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> thank you very much. I think it was um, pretty informative. <laughs> and another question that I have is what role does magic plays in the spiritual advancement of um, a thelemite that is in the OTO and in the, well, not, you know, either or i mean in the audio and in the aa yeah how does it differ the role that magic um, plays in spiritual um evolution spiritual advancement well, you know first of all it's important to say that uh you can be a member of both you know for a while mm -hmm. i was a member of both most people well maybe like i say maybe not most people a lot of people are member of both um Maybe more people would be a member of both if it wasn't for all, again, all the lineage wars and you should join this group or don't join that group that comes with hierarchical structures. Magic for a Telemite, personally, I believe that magic for a Telemite is paramount. There, and by that, I mean, there is 
all the magical practices that start from learning to sit still or even learning to walk while meditating, while being aware of your breathing, or being aware of your, or, or, you know, whatever happens in your mind's eye, and try to control them, try to have, uh, you know, try to steal the reactive mind, going to ceremonial magic practices that, you know, I guess like we mentioned before, like the consecration of the, of the tools, um, learning, for instance, to use the, the pentagram rituals, not so much as just banishing, uh, because it's, it, there's, it's not about just about that, but like learning how to, the pentagram rituals can help you refine the, 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 the hermetic elements and you can bring them into your, uh, your, in, into your aura or body of light and these practices will enhance your body of light. I, I would say that th without this, there's no dilemma. Um, again, personal opinion. Uh, in recent years, what I noticed is that since magic hasn't been able to become as widespread as Crowley hoped to be back when he wrote uh, Magic Interior Practice, Liber Abba, there's been a lot of trying, uh, a lot of uh, uh, attempts to, I don't want to say distance, the distance dilemma from magic, but remembering that you know you can be a telemite or also if you're not a practitioner which is absolutely true by the way like you can't there's you don't have to do it you don't but at the same time to reduce telema just to uh i don't know uh, a quirky philosophy it's missing the point completely uh crowley really thought that for the next step of human evolution we had to um to regain this magical uh, series of practices that you know through enlightenment and and, and onwards we we lost right um i think we i think that's that's it i think that's absolutely true uh in <laughs> the, the book i wrote right the book that's coming out next year uh which is called um the alester crowley manual dynamic magic for modern times that's its title I mean that's exactly the point I'm making. You know, it's not it's not a uh, it's not an academic book by any absolutely not. It's a book for practitioners because I think that you know what I'm trying what I'm trying to uh, to share in that book is the idea that to fully unlock the message of dilemma, yes, you have to to do a series of things that might seem crazy, which is you know maybe salute the sun four times during the day uh, by virtue of a ritual called Liberesh, or um, you should learn to invoke the astral light into your body of light, into your aura, and even trying to entertain the idea that there might be um, an invisible world around us that we cannot perceive with our five senses, but it's there, and we will start to perceive it as we deepen our understanding and our um, proficiency in these practices. So again, long, long story short, uh, I think it's absolutely fun fundamental. And I think that if you reduce dilemma to just a philosophy, you're missing something. Uh, and possibly you will, you will get to a point where you won't make sense of certain more advanced um, lessons, like for instance, the, the, the non-dual nature of, of our existence, because one way of making sense of, of, of non-duality is by stilling the rational mind. 
Um, of course, you know, you can go and do it and, and um, I don't know, apply for a Zen course and being beaten by a Zen master in order to realize that you are not your body. Or you can actually uh, try and uh, try, try to go through all the practices of Telema and you get there because, again, that's where we get, we're going towards with Telema. So, yeah, if you want to be a Telemite, I think you should be a Telemic magician. <laughs> Sounds like a, an ad. <laughs> yeah, it is. I know. I, if you it, want it, to it, be it, a Telemite. Be a magician. I might, I might make it as an ad for yeah. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but so yeah, I was trying to sort of make um, sense of uh, the things that you said when it comes to the use of magic in the spiritual advancement of the thelemite. So, uh, is it the case in your in your perception that magic? helps you achieve the spiritual goals because it allows you to experience you as a human being in a way that is not only related to the physical and dualistic world yes. is that what you meant yes absolutely. absolutely and how and what's the role that magic plays when it comes to the kind of magic that is used to alter your reality for you know, to, to improve your experience, even in the dualistic world? Well, the, in my experience, right, um, the magic of Telema, it's not so much a magic of results, right? It's not so much a, a magic that you do in order to, I don't know, get a better job or get know, another girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever. It's basically a series of practices that will almost force you to peel away the layers of your personality and by peeling all these layers away, you know, going closer and closer and closer till you, you, you become one with that divine spark. Okay. Once you do that, or rather, as you do that, and finally, once you reach that goal, you, um, you become one with what we call true will or pure will as it's written in the book of the law. And that is almost like you find the, the, how do you say, like the trajectory of your entire incarnation. Like why, like you have an answer to the age old question, what am I doing here, right? And it's, it's so much more than just finding a purpose in life, which it's something that, you know, it, it might seem like that. It's more about entering a state of eudaimonia entering a state of, you know, perfect understanding to a degree of what, what, why you're here, where you're going, uh, and being, I don't want to say like, it's not so much about being happy because it's not about letting sorrow disappear, but making sense of sorrow, making, you know, Crowley speaks, speaks of the trance of sorrow a lot, which is something that he gets, you know, from Buddhism. The idea is not so much about, you know, getting rid of, of pain, getting rid of sorrow, but making full sense of why we are experiencing what we're experiencing and moving on towards this enjoyment of life in all its manifold refractions, which, I mean, I guess that's what magic really is. Mm. Why, for instance, just to, you know, to, to 
maybe close a loop that st I started a few few sentences ago, a few few many sentences ago. Why magic with the K? So why sex magic? Well, because if you think about it, there we all experience this sense of eudaimonia, all of us. Uh, the moment of orgasm, la, la petite mort, to, to use like a French term, it's that moment of eudaimonia, of absolute bliss, that is still very rooted into our physical senses, but it's a like it's a sliver of perfection there. And of course, it's fleeting, it disappears, but we can try to go back there. And Telema wants to get you back there, uh, wants to for you to be able to expand that moment of bliss as long as possible, which is never going to be more than a few minutes, maybe, but still, right? Because the more you go there and the more you extend the period of bliss, the more you can live this life to the fullest. So, for instance, that this is why the emphasis on sex magic, because sex is it's almost like an alchemical uh, formula that we have embedded into our DNA as humans. We we have that. We do that. Right. So, you know, using it magically and using it um, with full understanding can help us making sense of who we are right now. Mm. Hopefully, hopefully that answers your question. Yeah, I was also thinking that uh, sex is also the um, uh, union of the opposites and it's also uh, not necessarily in a heteronormative way, but I mean the opposite in terms of two people that are different and they get united and they get pleasure after uh, uh, out of that union. Uh, I mean, so exactly. it's also a, a way of uh, experiencing union in the separation. And so Absolutely. One fundamental icon, icon of dilemma is Baphomet, right? Baphomet is the union of the opposite. He is the high and the low, is the male and the female, uh, beyond gender as well, like as, 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 you know, as cosmic principles. Uh, but again, it's, it's an embodied form. So yes, absolutely. Uh, mm -hmm. True, you cannot transcend duality unless you have fully experienced duality, right? Crowley would go even further, further, and you know, he, you know, like he, he, he was a cross-dresser, right? He was, he was a gender-fluid individual by any means, and so he went even further to the idea that you know, you really have to alchemically experience polarities constantly and bring them into the Athenor and have them collide in order to this for for that illusion of separation dissipate, dissipate completely. It's it's. Uh, it's internal alchemy at its finest, and uh, that and that's what magic is, you know, with the K. Uh, mm -hmm. I, you know, I tend to, I tend to call this also theurgy, maybe, but but, but I use it, I use theurgy in a very wrong way, in my, in my own, it's it's my own meta language, right? Mm -hmm. Because I want to separate it from what I call sorcery, which it's like, also. Is it like a high magic, low magic kind of distinction? You, it's a terrible divide, but it yeah, helps you it's very that. ceremonial centered in a way because he assumes yeah. that the the magic that um deals with changing and affecting things in your reality is low so you know the high low sort of implies that one is which is why I, I don't you know I, I don't like the term high and low i you know again in the book i speak of theurgy versus sorcery mm -hmm. and the fact that for instance everything that you find in telema is theurgical right you there's nothing in telema literally nothing to my knowledge, and then again, somebody maybe will correct me here, that will help you get a better job. Crowley used a lot of nine degree operations, which is heterosexual, 
generative sex magic to um, power talismans in order for for him to get money or get better jobs and whatnot. But the idea, but you know, that's only a fuel for talisman magic, right? Which is sorcery in many ways. Uh, the real use of of the kind of sexual energy would be only to fuel this sort of ascension, right? Um, but again, I, I hear what you're saying, whereby the, there's this kind of idea that everything that just gets you a better job is wrong. I, I mean, I, I, I'm not saying that at all. I've done it many times. <laughs> like, like you know, I, I've done sigils. Uh, I keep doing sigils. Uh, but the reality there is that I, the, 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 the deeper I go into these practices, and like I told you, it's been 30 years now, uh, maybe 25 series, but still, the less sigils I do. Uh, because I am more and more getting into a state where I am where I'm, where I'm supposed to be. Uh, I deal with grief and I deal with happiness at the same, almost like, with, with, I don't want to say detachment, because detachment is such a loaded term, like, oh, you just like become completely detached from everything. No, no, no. I lose myself into that. I lose myself into that experience, but it, I don't identify with it anymore. So, you know, when... That's very Buddhist. Least, uh, sorry? That's very Buddhist. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I, I really think that Telema has a, has a lot. I mean, I, that's why it's, I said at the beginning, I think that the real roots of Telema are in the East, not so much in Egypt. Because first of all, we know very little of Egypt. So maybe if we ever know more of Egypt, maybe we'll see, yes, it's the same. But that's where I think the, the roots are. I think um, uh, Gordon Jutrovic uh, wrote a book on that, um, about the roots of Telema in I was in Tantra and Buddhism, and it, it was right. <laughs> My opinion, of course. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, that's very interesting. And also something that I often say in conversations with my patrons is that in Western esotericism, you will find that many traditions will say that they um, draw back to ancient Egypt. It's like, you know, it sort of became kind of a... <laughs> Uh, a recurring theme to yeah. uh, make it seem as though your tradition is dates back to the very beginning of magical practices because Egypt was identified as this sort of primary original uh, source of you know uh, magical practices so it was sort of this imagined perception of Egypt as the source of it all that um, then you know, I think it's way. a very orientalistic approach as well, right? Because it's like, oh, you know, and exoticizing. I yeah, think exactly. there's, yeah, it's it's another trend that you find even in in shamanism. You know, the the idea that when something is foreign and comes from a different place, a different uh, mindset. You know, you we have the West versus East uh, here, but uh, yeah, the, something that is exotic and is far away and is distant from your mundane world has more of a mystical appeal because it seems like you know it's not it's not the, the banal trivial thing that you have in front of your eyes every day it's something that goes beyond and so you can also imagine more around it because it's not something that you're super familiar with it's something that there's a degree of imagination that goes into the perception of things that are exotic or perceived as exotic. an idea though that also that the older it is the the, the better yeah. it is like, I mean, um, you know that there's, we, we've been experiencing this grimoire revival in, in recent years, right? Uh, maybe like 10 years or so. And I think, I think there's been a lot of fantastic 
um, scholarship coming out from that. Uh, we, you know, are thinking about Jake Stratton Kent's, you know, Encyclopedia Goetica, especially Geo Sophia. Uh, all the things that come in from IDM Press, they're fantastic, right? The study of the PGM, fantastic. But at the end of the day, I, I mean, as, as a practicing magician, that as the, uh, I only work with the Goetia and with the Arbatel and few others. But the Grezzi there, but are the main ones that I work with. I work right now. Like in, I don't have Patreon anymore. I have a community, but in my community, we do that a lot. Um, it's like, you know, besides that, why do we really need to, to go and find the, yet another obscure grimoire because it's the first grimoire? I mean, we don't know where this comes from. Like, do we have, we have no idea. What they, but it's not just because they're older, they're better, right? Especially even when we look, for instance, at the Goetia, like there's like 160 various different um recensions of it which one is the best possibly the best approach is rather to do the magic and get in touch with the spirit if you allow that that's something that can happen right uh and then maybe the spirit will tell you what to do which has been my experience by the way so thank you so much for uh, this interview marco and where can people find you if they want to reach out so first of all thank you once again for having me it's been quite a nice uh, chat about Lots of different subjects. Yes. <laughs> uh, where people can find me, um, I have my own website called, uh, you can find me online, of course, uh, magic at marcovisconti.org. Or if you go directly on my website, marcovisconti.org, there are links there. And uh, um, yeah, uh, I say like my first book is going to come out next year, um, February 2023. Can't believe it's already 2023, right? Um, and it's going to come out in from Watkins Publishing. The title is uh, The Alester Crowley Manual, Telemic Magic for Modern Times. And uh, let me think, what else? Yes, I, I'm on YouTube. I'm on social media. I, I, don't, I, I really don't have a YouTube channel. I, I am on YouTube from time to time. <laughs> I, 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 I'm, not, I'm not very good at uh, updating things. Oh, yes. And then I'm doing a, a magical course. Like if you want to learn something practical, um, come and see on my website. Uh, we're, we're starting in, in a few weeks, actually, on the 21st of September. And yeah, that's, that, that's where people can find me. Thank you. And I will put the, the links in the info box so that um, viewers will have an easier time finding it. So thank Fantastic. you again. And I hope all of you guys enjoy this conversation and leave us a comment so that we know what you thought about it and whether you have any any questions or observations. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. So this is it for today's video. I hope you liked it. And if you did, don't forget to smash the like button, subscribe to the channel, activate the notification bell so that you will never miss a new upload from me and uh, share the video with your friends so that they can know about this community and maybe they are interested in the academic study of magic, historicism and all things occult. Thank you for being here and stay tuned for all the academic fun. Bye for now. Oh,